Welcome to another episode of Behaviour RVNs, the podcast for veterinary nurses in behaviour by veterinary nurses in behaviour and my name is Nikki. I'm a registered veterinary nurse, I'm a University of Edinburgh clinical animal behaviour student and I just love behaviour. It's, it's the whole reason why I started this podcast and there, one of the other reasons, I mean there are so many reasons why I did this pod, podcast but I really wanted to speak to veterinary nurses who have the same passion that I do about the subject and know that they can make such a difference in their practice by doing things that can help their caregivers, their pets and staff themselves. So this week I spoke to a local registered veterinary nurse, Gillian, who met so many times at various CPD events and Gillian really struck me by her knowledge in confidence clinics and she's going to tell you a bit more about them but also there's lots of other things that I didn't know about Gillian so we talk about so many other things even including acupuncture so let's listen and find out. So welcome to another episode of Behaviour RVNs and this time I've got a local lass with me. I have the lovely Gillian who I have met several times at various CPD uh, events as well. So Gillian welcome and how about introducing yourself, tell me a bit about yourself. Hi Nikki, it's nice to be asked to come on. I was quite surprised when you did ask me and quite not embarrassed but sort of like oh me that's exciting um, I'm Gillian I'm a registered vet nurse I work at a local independent practice in the Scottish Belt and um, we've got three branches Linlithgow, Edinburgh and South Queensferry which is the one I'm mainly based out of um, I qualified in November 2018 from SRUC Barony down in Dumfries which was the diploma route um, so I've been an RBN for just about five years which it's quite terrifying at times, but it's gone so fast as well. So, yeah, it's, it's exciting. Cool. So you, I went to Barony as well many, many years ago, um, quite scarily. Um, and when I was looking at your bio, there was actually quite a few things that sort of went, oh, we need to speak about that. And it's, it always makes me not laugh, but it always makes me think, your information is just as interesting as other people because... This is about veterinary nurses in behaviour and at the end of the day, people on the floor like you and me can learn so much from each other. So the main thing I wanted to speak to you about um, is confidence clinics, but we'll come back to that in a little minute. The first thing I saw that you, like me, are interested in the fear-free qualification. Tell me a bit yeah. about that. Um, so I've done the level one um, and fear-free, currently working on level two as well. It's just trying to find time to do it a lot of the time. Um, I think it's a really good starting point for people who are sort of maybe interested in behaviour but don't know a lot about it. It's got some lots of sort of nice, straightforward, simple information to get you kick-started with it. Definitely. And it's there's a lot there. Even though you're only on level two just now, there is so much more for you uh, in the future as well. So good on you. Um, I've already recently spoken to Tams and Dogs Trust about Dog Friendly. I believe that you're clinic just recently qualified uh, yes all three branches have just got it um I because I've been doing so many other things didn't 
get directly involved in running that. It was one of my other nurses and one of my vets who done a fantastic job getting all set up. Um, the team sort of worked together and pulled all the information together as well. But there's been two that have been sort of prioritising it. And I um, got my pack to start doing this sort of individual nurse membership as well. So I'm going to be working on that as well as level two if you're, if you're free before other things as well. Sure. Um. I, yeah. Me too. I've got. I'm halfway through the pack for Dog Trust. Um. Dog friendly individual veterinary nurse, mm-hmm. which it, the, the information that they give is absolutely fantastic. So yeah, great yeah. to see somebody else that's also doing that. I also saw that you've done the BSAVA Veterinary Nurse Merit Award. Tell me more about this because this is one I haven't done. It was brilliant. It was run by the lovely Linda Ryan, who I know you're a fan of. Um, Absolutely. Brilliant speaker, speaker, very, very knowledgeable. Um, The course was just jam-packed with loads of great information um, about dogs, cats, small furries, reptiles as well, which I don't see reptiles because we're a small animal first opinion, but it was good to sort of have a basic understanding of their different needs and wants. Um, A lot of great information about dogs, and cats and sort of things you may see in practice, sort of issues that owners might have, sort of common ones, how to sort of combat them, and what advice we can give, who to refer to when it's sort of beyond our like levels of knowledge and expertise. Um, But really, really good course. Loads of wee multiple choice questions at the end of each module, um, lots of coursework to sort of get your brain thinking about how would you put that into practice for your own patients and clients and then there was a few case studies I had to do as well which I sort of panicked about because writing to an academic level is something I've always struggled with but I managed it and I passed it and passed it well Um, and yeah it's been great being able to put that into sort of practice and it helps with the confidence clinics that I've been doing for our canine patients as well. It's interesting you say about the academic level how what level do you feel that's at is it up to degree level or do you think it's below that or um maybe not quite degree level but even when I was studying the diploma route of nursing right into an academic level is just something I've always struggled with um I can I'm very good at knowing what I want to say but writing it down and putting it into words to make it sound smart and make sense is the thing I struggle with the most but I think it's something that you could do whether you've done the degree or the diploma route definitely for it if you're and interested. How long, yeah, how long did that course last? Um, I'm sure it was just over a year. Wow, cool. So that there's obviously a lot of learning there and yeah. as you say Linda is a fantastic teacher. She is our veterinary nurse herself um, and going down the route of um, clinical animal behaviours. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody that's on my list for this podcast for the future <laughs> Linda if you're listening. Uh, so yeah that's been certainly something I would love to do whenever time money and everything else allows as well so I see that you have also developed practice puppy school classes more about this so we after speaking to yourself at CPD and sort of picking your brain as to how to run it what to include in it and we did do a trial run and it seemed to go really well we got really good feedback the information that we supplied the clients thought was really beneficial um, and have been putting it into practice which is lovely to see unfortunately it's not gone any further purely because 
staffing levels, trying to get people that are able to help out with it because it was out of hours. Um, we've not been able to run more. It is something I would happily do again if more people were interested in practice. It's just timing-wise, they know it's not great, to be honest, but hopefully something else we can come back to in the future. That's true. That's and that's something I've spoken already about on podcasts previously about the old fashioned puppy parties as they used to be. Where, certainly when I used to run them years ago, you'd fling a whole load of puppies together and <laughs> hope for the best. Whereas obviously modern research has shown that that's not great for puppies. Yeah. Um, and certainly it is a lot more time consuming with a lot less puppies Mm -hmm. um but certainly as you say feedback from clients can be so good because they find it so helpful yeah because there is so much information out there on the internet these days that puppy owners maybe don't know what's right what's right and wrong so coming from qualified nurses like ourselves that information can be so helpful for them so hopefully once your staffing levels get a bit easier then it'd be good, good to hear from you to see yeah. if they're actually running up again but the main thing I wanted to speak to you about and this is something that I run with other nurses in my own practice um, but I know that you have a ton of success with uh, in your practice is confidence clinics so tell me about these. So confidence clinics stem from sort of your generic happy visits where we're getting the dogs in, getting them on the scales, giving them a biscuit, not doing anything um, with them at all, not even at the time putting hands on them or anything, just keeping it as hands-off, relaxed and calm as possible. Um, my first one was in 2019, so not long after I qualified. It was this lovely sort of mastiffy cross that had been at another vet's practice and they just had a really bad experience, unfortunately, when it came to his vaccines and the poor chap was terrified of vets so sort of took it on myself seeing him how he was when he came in um, just to try and build his confidence up really really slowly just with myself and one vet to begin with and then started introduced another couple of the vets and another nurse um, and it got to a point where after sort of six months of working with him when he was doing his vaccines again we managed to do it without any hassle at all and um, we did a chin target um, onto our hands with loads and loads of liver paste as a bribe um, and vaccines were done and absolutely grand so we've sort of developed them from there um, I've had a vet who unfortunately no longer works with us she had to move up to Aberdeen um, with her partner for his job so very gutted with that because she's an amazing vet but she did a lot of behaviour stuff um, and had this big massive questionnaire that she developed for her behaviour consult. So chatting with her, I sort of tweaked it to make a nurse confidence clinic questionnaire. Um, so it gives a sort of brief history about the animal, like when the owners had them, how long they've had them for, were they from a breeder, were they from a rescue, etc. Um, sort of a bit about medical history, just are they on any specific diet, uh, diets even so that we know not to feed them stuff that they shouldn't be getting. <laughs> um, medical history sort of things like what is there anywhere on the body they don't like being touched is there anywhere they particularly like being touched like do they really love getting an ear scratch or a bum scratch is there any toys in particular they love any foods that they love what are their sort of main concerns and we get the questionnaires get sent out to the owners before we even think about booking in the visit because then it lets us see 
is this something we can tackle in practice? Is it related to the vets or is it something completely different? And um, we had one come back that I had dealt with that was a separation anxiety. So unfortunately, confidence clinics in the practice isn't going to make any difference because the dog's fine at the vets. It was looking at doing what can we do in the household. So then we sort of think, right, OK, well, go look at these places for advice and generally tend to say like the Dogs Trust website because there's loads of fab info there and at Behaviour Council if they need a behaviourist in. And so for the, the type of dogs that you have coming in for your confidence clinics, what kind of dogs are you seeing? Is it young dogs, old dogs? Is it um, owners that are experienced or is it all like new dog owners? Especially with the pandemic, there seems to be an awful lot of new dog owners on the yeah. on the go. Um, so a combination, I mean, we've got little and large. I've got about five or six ongoing at the moment. My largest one being a year and a half old Ridgeback. Um, the smallest being a three-year-old little Bichon Cross. Um, we have some that have been from pup, that have been lockdown pups. Um, I've got one, he's a lovely, lovely lurcher who is a rescue. This is his third home that he's on to. And the lady that's got him is a dog walker and she's done so much work with him getting him settled in and just being more comfortable in life in general, to be honest. She's done a lot of amazing work herself. And then it was the vet side of things we were trying to tackle. So he's now with me and he's brilliant. He's so, so good. And he's such a sweet dog. And I told her that the last visit she was here and she was like, no one's ever in a vet practice called him a sweet dog before because they've not been able to do anything with him. And I was like, but he's amazing and he's so good. And he got his vaccines the other week and we're doing great. It just makes me so happy. Oh, and that's why we do it, isn't yeah. it? I mean, it's when you hear stories like this, you're just like, yes, this is yeah. why we are doing it. This is why we are taking all this time and effort and CPD, because at the end of the day, there are people out there that need our help. And that is just mm -hmm. absolutely wonderful. Um, so do you get them in every week? Do they have a, a set um, It depends on the individual. My ones generally tend to be every fortnight, so we're not pushing them too much too quickly um, there was one of them I was saying weekly and we do it in blocks of six so they get six consults for a set price and after that if they decide they want to carry on and do another block then we can certainly do that some of them we only need one block to see right this is what the issues are being I had a wee border terrier that six weeks of doing it we realized okay you don't like anything being done to you on the table which more awkward for our backs and our knees, but better for the dog. So everything's now done on the floor. Food's a massive distraction. She was getting sight of point and we realized that it wasn't working for her. So now on to Apoquil. So it's just catering it for the individual and she's never had to come back for any more confidence visits because it's noted all over her file. This is our treats. This is how she does things on the floor. Licky mat with liver paste for Jagoner. She's done, she's good, she's fine, she goes home again. There's no concerns at all. So it depends on the individual. Generally I tend to do for myself anyway, once every fortnight. Um, and then we work from there. And then if we feel we need to come back for more visits, we can certainly do that. Or if we go like with that we won, right, we've got the issue, we know what to do. We don't need any more visits. And is it a 15 minute appointment or do you have extended appointments for these? Um, I do them for half an hour half an hour to 40 minutes again depending on how they are on the day 
if they're doing really well, we can go a wee bit longer. If they're just not enjoying it for the day, then I sometimes cut it at 20 minutes. It just depends on the individual, but generally 30 to 40 minutes is how much I spend with them. And do you give the uh, caregivers any handouts or any information after the clinics? Um, no, but it is something I've been thinking about developing at the end of each block, a little mini report as to a summary of what we've done each week and what to work on going forward. Um, I do sort of sometimes give them homework saying, right, for next week, I'd like you to practice, for example, one that's not good with their ears, just feeling around the pinna, see how we go with that. Don't push anything further. and then. We find out how it's been going on. Um, a lot of them we're sort of saying about doing basket um, muzzle training with as well, just so that we've got it on top. Touch targets is another thing I always recommend. They sort of practice at home. And then owners, they sort of develop their own cues for things as well. Like my big Ridgeback for having a stethoscope on her, her cue is listen as soon as it touches her. So she stands for the 10 seconds with the stethoscope on and then we go okay and then she gets her biscuit so her owners taught her that so they're also teaching me what their dogs know and don't know so that way I can keep it the same in practice and we can put it onto the file so that we know everyone knows when they're dealing with that animal if it's not myself right okay their cue for a stethoscope is listen cool it works great and then we move to the next part of the exam yeah and that's the thing as well isn't it is like you may be the behaviour nurse in the practice, but we have to think about all these staff members that are there. You may be on holiday, it may not be your day, or it may be a booster with the vet, so it's not an appointment with yourself. So how do you spread the word within your practice? Um, our computer system, we use one called Anamana. Um, it's an IDEX system, and there's like patient summaries for different things. So for their sort of healthcare plan, insurance etc and there's one we have for FAS your fear anxiety stress levels and it's like what um their sort of cues are so I'll put in there like for this dog with the stethoscope listen is their cue for that um if we're doing really well loads of liver paste if we're getting a bit nervous biscuits and then when we do the thing we really want them done like high reward liver paste cheese whatever you can get your hands on to make it as nice as possible for them so we've got patient summaries for that and all the vets and the nurses now when we're seeing animals um, as well as your sort of TPRs one of the first things we note down is what their FAS level is and if it changes depending on what we're doing to them in practice and what signs we're seeing so it's across the board for all patients all people pretty much on practice are on board with doing it which is fantastic and this is what I'm trying to implement in my practice we have pop-ups that when you go into a pet record it comes up with usually it's some sort of warning like get their telephone number stuff like that I yeah. use it for FAS levels um, yeah. and I've been start, starting to spread the word in the practice and vets and nurses have come to me and said what do you mean and I was like well there's a pop-up or there's a little symbol that says the dog bites but that doesn't tell you anything mm -hmm. dog bites could be anything so why not be a bit more specific and it's something that I really do want to spread the word more about in our practice yeah. about the FAS and for those that don't know what FAS means it's fear anxiety and stress and there's like a level from one to five almost like a traffic light system 
Um, so obviously one is the green and five the red going from great to oh my goodness this dog will not allow you to be touched sort of thing and it applies to cats as well there's obviously the FAS level for cats and I just think it's such so much more information I mean I was looking at a file yesterday for a dog that I'd seen months ago and the file the pop-up came up with its FAS um, will show whale eye will hide um, does well with really slow gentle handling yeah. that tells you so much more than just dog bites so yeah. I th and this is where I think fear, this comes out from Fear Free. Um, this is obviously where you've got it from as well. And the emotional records that we can put onto the pets records on our practice management system. I just think it's so, so helpful. And it's so yeah. good to hear of others doing the same thing, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, has it been well received in your practice then? It has. There's been quite a lot of us that have done Fear Free, um, vets and nurses and reception. Um, again, I think I was one of the first to do it along with one of the Lovego nurses and then one of the other nurses that works with me at Queen's Ferry. She's done, I think she's up and beyond level three now and she's the nurse that actually helped with the Dogs Trust um, dog friendly clinic alongside one of the vets that's again at level three with it. So they've really pushed it in practice as well. Um, it's something We've been saying for a long time we should be doing um and i'd say we're maybe slightly better with it in dogs in practice than we are with cats but we are getting there across the board um for both species it'd be nice if there was one for rabbits as well not that we see that many of them but although it's to be getting there though isn't it yeah yeah there is a lot of more information coming out there about how to be rabbit friendly within clinics mm -hmm. Um, and obviously things like grimace scores and stuff like that yeah. they're coming out for rabbits um so yeah we're getting there uh, is your practice um cat friendly status as well um Lunlivgo and queen's ferry are silver i believe and drum braised bronze so yeah we're there we've got two at queen's ferry very feline friendly nurses um They've done their certificates. One's done the diploma as well. One's currently working on the diploma. So we've got a nice combination of everything. Good, good. Going back to the confidence clinics, this is mm -hmm. something that I've discussed with my head nurse quite a few times about whether you charge for them or not. And obviously you've discussed that you do. Yeah. Um, certainly the opinions that I've had is that it's a bonding experience for the client. Um, so we shouldn't be charging for them. What's your thoughts about it? I am very much a believer in if you're utilising your nurse's skills, then you should be charging for those skills being utilised 100%. Um, whatever prices you want to charge, that's obviously completely up to yourself and your practice. Um, we had a discussion on it. We have a care plan in practice, which I know most vets probably do have now. So those that are members of our healthcare get it at a discounted price than those that are um, not on the healthcare plan. But even at that, for the six consults, it's not a lot of money at all. And I had one, my client with the Ridgeback, actually, he paid for his first block um, at his first appointment. And then the second appointment he went to pay again. I said, no, 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 that's that's you for your block. And he was like, oh, oh, I thought it was that per time. That's that's amazing. That is so little. And I'm only having to pay it for six weeks. And I was like, yeah, no, it's, it's not that much at all. And people don't, the ones that are really invested in it and trying to help their animals, 
don't seem to mind at all that they're having to pay it. Um, so I would 100% say if you're going to utilise your nurses and do it right, then yeah, charge for it. Um, some people might not agree with me in that sense. Happy visits we don't charge for. If they're just coming in to go on the scales, get a wee fuss and get a biscuit, then we wouldn't charge for that. But the confidence clinics, yeah, because you're you're putting the time and effort into it. So I think, yeah, you should be. Definitely. And that's as well is that we do the happy visit thing where we advise them to come in on their own time, pop on the scales, take a treat from reception, stuff like that as well. But yes, when especially when you're saying as well that you have a questionnaire that you've developed that you send out, you then have to take the research from that before you even organise the appointments. There's a lot of work in that. So, yeah, I can perfectly understand that side certainly my personal point is that yes I think like you I do think that we should charge for our time we are a profession and we are a regulated profession as such and that if we do something wrong we can get struck off um so I definitely do feel that we should be charging something I can totally see the other side of things is that yes it is a bonding experience coming in then we're showing them the practice what we can do for them but the end of the day it's for me personally I think it is something that should be charged for and I really like the way that you do things as well which is really interesting do you do a lot of them is it something that you book out a lot of appointments for each week um I seem to because I've got them on a rolling rotation um I have at least one a week if not two or three um we actually have a waiting list at the moment for people to get in touch with um to get them started as well so it's yeah it's keeping us busy there's one two three other nurses currently doing them and they've got their set ones and two other nurses are wanting to start one of which is set to qualify in august so he's a nurse i'm going to help him we've sort of picked the ones that are going to be easier for him to start off with just starting out with it and then we're going to come up with our sort of plan together as to how he's going to run the confidence clinic and he knows it's been booked in at a time that I'll be there if he does need help with anything so um, it's also helping like you were saying earlier helping each other develop as well Um, it's not just one cares about oneself and nothing else Um, but yeah it's it's good we have a waiting list my colleague at Linlivgo that does them I think she's got quite a fair few for her as well so it is something that seems to be taken off really well and our vets are really good at sort of saying well our nurses run these if this is something you'd be interested in when the animal's quite worried and owners are always like oh that's interesting and I'd never thought of something like that before and then some unfortunately just they don't get back to you but you can't obviously push the issue um but those that are wanting the help more than happy to help them and that's something that Sarah Heath discussed earlier about the fact that everybody should be interested in behaviour, whether you're a vet, you're a nurse, you're a receptionist, because Mm -hmm. we are all a team and everybody can do their part in order to help that pet be as stress-free. You're never going to be 100% stress-free, but just making sure that it's reduced as much as possible. And you could be the little island in the big, massive sea, but everybody needs to work together. So I I, I mean, honestly, when I look at your practices, um, Facebook and Instagram and stuff like that, and see how much 
positive stuff that you as a team do it's mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic it's so impressive um and i really do hats off to you and your team for doing all the stuff that you do one of the things that you put in your bio which i thought was really quite interesting and hadn't really heard too much about it was the longview western veterinary acupuncture course now yes. some people are going to listen to that and go that's absolutely nothing to do with behavior but as you both know, there's definitely a, a connection between pain and behaviour. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so I did my long view acupuncture um, just as COVID hit. So the first part of the course was all done online over a weekend. Um, I'm very lucky to have two vets. Well, one is the one that moved up to Aberdeen, so she's not with us anymore. Um, but I have a vet that I work in conjunction with that's done the acupuncture and I sort of done my theory behind it via the online zoom course as covid hit and then had been sort of been sitting in watching all her consultations and the other vet that we had at the time's consultations so they were sort of teaching me the points as well after having done the theory so my practical day was another nine months after doing the theory when lockdown restrictions started to ease and it was all vets and nurses there and a lot of the nurses that were there hadn't actually had a chance to do any needling in patients, whereas um, I had been very lucky working with my two vets, had quite a lot of chance to do it, and it's something I'm still doing and absolutely love it. Um, It is related to, obviously, pain, and it's all to do with pain management, and we know that pain and behaviour can be linked. Um, The vet that I work with now is also doing her behaviour certificate, so she's sort of got a massive interest in um, pain management and behaviour com- combination. Um, so yeah, working on the acupuncture and seeing how one wee dog we've had was terrified of coming to the vets. Very sore little dog with arthritis, bless her. She's like a little bedlington cross. She's very, very cute. Um, absolutely terrified coming to the vets. Now comes trotting in, pulling her owner in through the door because she loves her acupuncture sessions. She gets really snoozy during them, which is what we want. Um, and she knows she's going to get all her treats. And anytime she sees myself or my other, my vet, the wee tail's wagging. She's like coming, tootling up, wanting cuddled and things. So obviously getting on top of the pain factor has really massively helped her confidence build as well. And her owner said it's just a completely, it's like having a new dog. It's just incredible. Um, oh that's just amazing to hear and it's a lot of people just don't realize that the connection between pain and behavior yeah. um certainly it's something that I'm going to be speaking to um to my next special guest about um details coming off that soon <laughs> but it is such a huge aspect of the behavior side of things is that pain equals watching what the behavior is so it's so good to hear and I, I never realized that actually that a registered veterinary nurse could become a qualified acupuncturist as well so again another string to your bow absolutely fantastic do you do you do a lot of acupuncture then uh, yeah I've got um quite a lot of bless them labradors especially with their arthritis um on it um I do it probably at least once a week as well um, so sort of like medications check they'll see the vet at least once every three months and then in between times I can do it it's not a problem um, 
but yeah, it's really interesting to see how they respond to it as well. Some of them, we've got a Vizsla who comes in and he's 100 miles an hour, as Vizslas are. Um, and as soon as he gets his first needle in, he's just flat as a pancake on the floor, snoring his wee head off, getting a little head massage at the same time, of course. And then as soon as the... Oh, hello. Sorry, we have a bluebell. <laughs> <laughs> Hi Bluebell. Bluebell is a little Sphinx kitty that has just popped up to say hello. Oh my goodness. So glad you did what you what I was asking your mum to do earlier, which was come and say hello, Bluebell. <laughs> anyway, sorry, your wee bishla, he falls asleep straight he away. Really snoozy. Um yep, and then as soon as you take the last needle out, he's back to being hundred miles an hour again. So <laughs> it's really funny to see the different reactions to it, but not it doesn't work for every animal, just like with any medication you can use. Some of them work fantastically, respond to it really well. Others, it's just not for them. But you try it and we see how we go. But yeah, just seeing the difference it can make. And a lot of owners report their animal. It's given them a bit of a new lease of life, along with the medications they're on as well, obviously. But it does make a massive difference to a lot of them. So that's really nice to hear. It's nice to see those patients. And then you're sort of getting the bonding with them because you're seeing them so frequently that's fantastic that's so good to hear so what's the future holding for Gillian with regards to <laughs> behavior with regards to your future nursing career um so like I said currently working on level two fear free and working on the individual nurse membership for dog friendly practice um come September I'm actually starting my advanced nursing certificate in Pain management and analgesia through Harper Adams so quite excited and a little bit scared about doing that as well but it'll be good something else to sort of have to my name and I think at that point when I start that I'm going to try and switch off from doing too many things at once because I'm really bad for that. Another girl after my own heart with doing all <laughs> the multiple because practically every CPD I've turned up with recently it's been oh hi Gillian nice to see you again so many so, yeah <laughs> we're definitely like for like for doing the CPD so do you think nurses can do more with behavior what would you like nurses to do with regards to behavior practice I think it stems from to begin with I think behavior could be covered more at college and university level um, for definite um, because I think a lot of people come into practice not really understanding even the basics at times sort of what are signs to look out for that an animal's unhappy that it's starting to get stressed um, I think it is something that I would highly recommend most nurses do at least the level one of the fear free and vets as well um, it doesn't take a lot of time at all it's nine hours of CPD and it just gives you a basic understanding I know behaviour is not for everyone. I can totally understand that. Um, but having a base understanding, I think, is vital for being able to work in a practice. And for not just the welfare of our patients, but safety as well. And that's it. And that, that's where, where so many people don't realise is that, yes, we can be so knowledgeable about medical side and the surgical side but you have to think about the emotional side as well because just like that's human beings you have to think about that you have to think about what that person is feeling and what that animal is feeling so yeah I absolutely agree with you on that respect 
Gillian, it's been absolutely fantastic to speak to you. I have one question to ask before we leave. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You probably already know what it is. Uh, team cat, team dog? Um, I have always grown up with dogs. I've done a lot more with dogs and understand dogs a bit better, even though I am currently owned by Bluebell the Sphinx. Um, she's definitely made me more of a cat person, but at heart, <laughs> sorry, Nikki, I'm always team dog. <laughs> team dog and I know that you're also like Laura we've spoken to before it's Cocker Spaniels as well yeah if you have you grown up with Cocker Spaniels yep just like Laura English show Cockers my whole life is what I've always had and I would love to have again just not the right time for one but Bluebell keeps me in tow so absolutely fantastic and thank you Bluebell for popping down every time to make me feel very very much loved to buy a cat nice to speak to you too Bluebell Jill it's been a pleasure thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me and I'm sure everybody will love listening to this if they're interested in confidence clinics you've already given me a couple of ideas for going back to practice mm -hmm. with to speak to so thank you so much for taking the time Jillian no problem. Thank you for having me. It was lovely to speak to you again. You take care. You too. So are you inspired to go back to your practice and speak to your peers about confidence clinics? I know I am. It's something I really, really want to develop more. And that's why I wanted to speak to Gillian because she really does seem to be doing so well in her practice and spreading the word about how it can help everyone in practice. So thanks to Gillian for talking not only about those kind of clinics but all the other things that she does as well fantastic to hear of somebody that is a study geek like myself and loves to learn loves to study and then passes that information on for the better of the animals and for the people that you work with so next time i'm speaking to debbie debbie is a behaviorist um, debbie has her own business and as a registered veterinary nurse we we'll always want to speak to somebody that has an interest in animal behaviour, so join us soon for the next episode.